When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hello, and in the famous words of Bill Murray from the Groundhog Day movie, I'll give you a wind prediction. It's going to be cold. It's going to be grey. It's almost as predictable as Juventus favouring from another VAR decision. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian podcast. I'm Adam. And I'm joined by my good friend, Andy. How you doing? Hey, Andy. How are you? How has yes. your weekend been? Uh, we have been speaking offline, but um, it sounds like it's been quite eventful, hasn't it? Yeah, it's uh, well. The past, this past week was quite chill, but it's on the football front, probably less less than chill. <laughs> but <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, been alright. How have you been on your event? I've been very good, thank you. Uh, rushed off my feet, literally, um, because our good friend Craig went off on holiday, so I was looking after his Cocker Spaniel, and yeah, we had lots of walks, it has to be said. Um, obviously, you know from looking after dogs yourself, um, they do like to get very excitable, and they do <laughs> love their walks. Um, so yeah, definitely felt like I was never-ending in that department. Oh, but, I love um, the zoomies, don't they? <laughs> it was still enjoyable, nonetheless. Uh, I'll catch up on my sleep another time, that's for sure. Um, but for viewers and listeners, you may notice that we are missing a certain co-host. Unfortunately, Rory is under the weather, uh, so <laughs> we wish him well. It's his we, turn to die this week. It is, it is his turn to be unwell, so we wish him well. Hopefully, he'll be back with us shortly. But myself and Andy will talk you through the weekend's games and all the talking points. Um, but before we get into it, Andy... Um, let's talk about our favourite moments from the week or weekend. Um, so if I hand it over to yourself, what has been the special moment that caught your eye? Well, there's a couple of ones. You've got Slatan Ibrahimovic coming the oldest uh, goal scorer, I think, in Serie A history. Yeah. Uh, big moment. It's been called up to the Sweden squad at uh, 41 years old. So that's some going. Um, there was obviously the events of... The, the, well, the, the full meltdown from yesterday. <laughs> yes, of course. Just yeah. Something else. Um, so, yeah. And obviously, the yeah, the Blackbird Sheffield United game was a classic as well. Like, mm. it feels like the FA Cup magic has returned this season. I don't, know, yes. I don't know what it is, but it just feels like there's more intensity and passion for it than it perhaps has been in previous years. But, yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. I definitely feel like the underdogs have been doing themselves some justice. Um, unfortunately, we didn't get that necessarily the giant killing this weekend. Um, Brighton put sore to that uh, pretty much within a couple of minutes into the game, to be fair. Um, but yeah, I think for me, it's uh, beautiful to see a bit more different teams in that kind of quarterfinal and certainly looking forward to that semi-final lineup, that's for sure. Mm. Um, but for me, moment of the weekend comes from Italy. Uh, you'll be surprised to hear. Um, Catania, yeah. who many of our pod listeners may remember from latter years, um, in particular around the 2009, 2010s, um, famous side based in, uh, what's it called, Sicily. And uh, yeah, they were basically essentially relegated to Serie D. Um, Already? Is that yeah, they were, they were due to oh, financial wow. irregularities, um, but they have got themselves back up to the league. So, um, yes, it's great to see them. Another story, though, also from the weekend. So we saw Catanzaro, who have been promoted to Serie B. They took nearly 8,000 fans on a four-hour trip to wow. see them beat Gel Beeson 2 0. Um, so fantastic effort by their fans. And uh, yeah, beautiful moment. But I don't know if you saw this, Rory, or even Andy. See, I'm just used to seeing Rory all the time. <laughs> but Andy, um, the best moment for me personally was in the championship. It was Rotherham versus Cardiff City. I don't know if you saw the video, um, but the announcement of the game being postponed and all four sides cheered because it was that terrible of a match. <laughs> they yeah. could not serve. I saw. I saw. Game. I mean, I saw the pitch as well. It was uh, apparently Cardiff weren't too happy, obviously, because they were ahead. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's proper Sunday league stuff going on in the championship. <laughs> definitely, definitely. If you saw the guy that was trying to mop up the uh, water yeah. off the pitch, he was bringing it more onto the pitch than it was actually going off it. Um, but Andy, obviously, um, we are going to go with the listeners and those viewing right now through the uh, weekend's games. In particular, we'll be talking about the FA Cup, as you alluded to. We've also got the Premier League. There's a lot of results that took place there. We've also got Serie A. There's some phenomenal games that happened this play uh, this weekend, even. Um, some interesting scorelines. Sampdoria, who I'm actually donning the shirt right now, winning a game. Uh, <laughs> incredible. Um, and then, obviously, between us two, unfortunately, we're not joined by Rory, but we will speculate about that Italy and England game coming up on Thursday night. And, uh, yeah, get your thoughts as well, because there's been a few withdrawals today in terms of that England squad. Interestingly, also, Andy, I don't know if you saw it, Jimmy Hasselbank potentially being part of the England setup, which... Uh, I've not I've not seen that at all. Uh, apparently being a goal or striker coach, essentially. Um, so, yeah, hopefully he gets more out of Harry Kane. Um, I mean, I'm, like not really sure McCarthy, more, right? I'm not really sure what much more you could get out of him. He does an all right job as it is. But yeah, well, it's maybe it's more good. for the other strikers. Who knows? Yeah, Who maybe. Knows? But, maybe so. Um, but let's go into the break and we will see you on the other side. And we are here and we will talk about the FA Cup. But let's start off by talking about Handy, that particular game that kind of came to the end of this FA Cup quarterfinal run. And we're talking about your beloved Man United and the Fulham scenes. 
Um, it was a bit squeaky bum time until that certain incident, wasn't it, Andy? Um, but what, what did you make of the whole game? What was your thoughts? And were you a bit disappointed by how Man United started in this game? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, um, if it wasn't for that meltdown, we should have rather truly we would have well and truly deserved to be knocked out mm. uh followed by the best team by far for pretty much all of that all of the game up until that point really um you know one of the things they're very good at is they get the ball that ride really really quickly we were making William look like he was 25 again i mean <laughs> to be fair to him he has having a considering what he was like at arsenal yeah he, he does seem to be i didn't expect him to be in england again i didn't expect him to be playing as consistently and as well as he has been to be fair yeah. like he you know you've got to put give him his dues he's played um incredibly well um so yeah and that and that was the main plan of attack you obviously you've got mitrovic is a big focal point um already when mitrovic is in the mood which he was in many ways mm. <laughs> yesterday, but he is a very much a handful. Um, obviously, you've got Andreas Pereira as well. He looked like he had something to prove on his return uh, to Old Trafford Shock. as well. Yeah, it, <laughs> so, and uh, Paulinho as well. I mean, he's been like that all mm. season, but compare, you know, out of that, you know, at, up against uh, McTominay and Sabitzi, he was the best midfielder um out a lot. So, mm. yeah, and I think when the goal came, it was just. Um, <sighs> It was. I remember texting my mate saying that that's been coming for a good sort of ten minutes or so. Yeah. Um, it was coming. You know, we thought. You know, the end of the first half. Thought, okay, we've gone in nil nil. Come out firing the the second half, and but yeah, it was full of on top the whole way through. Um, mm. So now, to be fair, they played well, but um, you know, the, the changes um, that were made did make a difference. You know, bringing on Anthony at the point uh, Ten Hag did. Uh, brought a bit more intensity, a bit more pace to the game. Mm. Uh, so I think with United, they're a little bit knackered at the moment, to be honest. You, you've had the same 11 yeah. playing more or less week in, week out. Um, so I think you are seeing in recent performances the lack of depth that's yeah. there. You know, there's, there's no Van der Beek, there's no Ericsson, there's no Casemiro. It's quite an under resourced. Per, especially midfield at the moment. So, uh, but yeah, and obviously if we go up to the um, the incident itself, I mean, I don't understand why it's proved controversial. Um, I mean, William puts his hand out. Yeah. Going, if he doesn't put his hand there, the ball's going in the net. So that was deserved red card, deserved penalty. Um, Alexander Mitrovic, he didn't need to do it but he was literally no, he didn't, no. going up to the ref swearing in his face shoved him quite forcibly like you know Decanio style um a diverse deservedly got sent off and obviously Marco Silva probably said enough to get himself sent off so yeah you know it was all of F Fulham's doing um unfortunately for them um yeah yeah definitely know, I think a lot of Fulham fans were basically saying had Mitrovic stayed on the pitch they could have got something out of it. Not yeah. not guaranteed, obviously, but I think they actually stand a chance of maybe not conceding so late on. I mean, they did valiantly well, I have to say. Um, but yeah, I do, I do feel for that. One kind of question that you've already talked about that kind of penalty point, but I wanted to kind of highlight about Man United. Obviously, you talked about how fatigued they are. Does this kind of underline the issues that you haven't got the depth, even when you're bringing likes of McTominay and Maguire into the squad, who thought they had pretty poor games. What was your thoughts? 
Yeah, um, I mean, I've said for a while, I mean, I love, you know, the passion that McTominay has. He gives 100% every time he's on the pitch. But I think what's becoming quite clear at this particular point is if you're a team looking to be fired to get out the, the you know the top end of the table, he's not the guy who's going to make a difference against top-class midfielders. Mm. And, you know, when you look at the... yeah. And when you look at the Premier League, he's quite good as like in a sort of a box-to-box attacking midfielder, but he hasn't got the technical de- the technical ability to be able to take the ball from deep. You know, um, you know, he could, he could win the ball back very well, but mm. he doesn't have the best imagination when he's on it, and he often fight. He doesn't put himself into a position where he can receive the ball in good spaces. Is it part of the game which I think at 25, 26, he's not going to develop to in a suitable level? And I think in mm-hmm. terms of what Ten Hag wants from midfielder, you see it with the signing of Ericsson and to an extent Sabitza. That's yeah. the kind of midfielder that he wants there. Um, so I think, you know, for as, for as much as he'll probably pay a part as best he can towards the end of the season, I certainly think, you know, with Manchester United being in a position where they need to sell to buy, he'll be one of the ones that Ten Hag could be more willing to let go. And with Maguire as well, I think he's going to get game time between now and the end of the season. Uh, obviously, Varane, his fitness is always... You have to keep care, be careful mm. of it. He has been available for the large parts, but when you're playing every three days, you do have to manage your fitness. I think that's what Ten Hag's doing. Um, but again, it's difficult. Although it's okay... Uh, he still had a couple of clumsy moments, uh, mm. just like falling over <laughs> right in the middle of right in the penalty box. And he does, you know, he does make some um, strange decisions at times. So I think his long term future is certainly under question as well. Mm. Well, let's move on to the other games now. The game that me and Rory did really fancy watching this weekend, and it turned out to be a blockbuster, was Sheffield United versus Blackburn Rovers. I never thought I'd utter those words together, <laughs> um, but it was a fascinating match. You got two teams in the championship doing really well. I, I really fancied looking at this John Dahl Thomason side because. They've been kind of threatening over the last few rounds. Obviously, we saw a little bit of it against Leicester City, but it was fascinating to see how they played, the intensity. It feels like a team that could fit really well in the Premier League. Mm. But then you've also got the contrast of Sheffield United. We saw what they could do, albeit against a Wrexham side, uh, Hollywood FC of the conference, should we say. Um, But yeah, they came out trumps in the end. what was your natural thoughts of this game? Because we saw it as a 3-2 victor for Sheffield United. But at the time, I didn't think it was going to go that way. No, I think uh, with Blackburn, they took their chances quite well, mm. uh, to be fair to them. I think there were times they were under pressure, but they were able to get the goals you know, on the break when they needed to. Um, and I think, you know, sort of Sheffield United dominate the dominating possession, um, sometimes maybe a little bit dozy on occasions and you know with um blackburn the times i have seen them they do tend to press reasonably well uh you know the likes of uh, ben diaz will hustle and harry for the ball as well putting the mm. hard work but i think both teams deserve a huge amount of um credit to be honest because they they're both teams in a very similar position they're chasing promotion you know certainly chasing for the playoff side of things and it, fe- it felt like two teams playing with nothing to lose 
Um, when I think you can you could tell the difference between teams that have got their eye on staying in the division or other things between two teams that you go, you know what, we're in a good position, we can really go for it. You know, Blackburn, you know, they're four points ahead in the playoffs. Uh, Sheffield United are three points ahead of Middlesbrough in yep. the um, in in the automatic promotion places. So I, th- I think it felt like the kind of game where both teams felt, you know what, let's just go for it. Mm. Uh, they'll not have, neither team will have a better opportunity to go to Wembley um, yeah. in the next few years. And I think that really played into it. Um, and both, mm. you know, both teams. It was proper blood and thunder stuff. Like it was full, yeah. co- full commitment, proper challenges. You know, nothing particularly dirty. It's just really no, just well see. fought yeah, out game. Really, right? really like... well fought teams against. But you know, and I think it was quite evenly matched as well. Both teams yeah. would have felt on you know had the thing. Had it gone either way, because yeah. they could beat each other. So, yeah, it's the sort of game that the FA Cup needs. Both, you know, two teams from the Championship taking it seriously, and they could both be both be very proud of their cup run. Definitely, and I think interestingly, there's a slight change of dynamic for Sheffield United this week going into the game because there's the news about their financial situation. So I don't know if you saw this, Andy, but they're at a point where they can't afford certain things. So like fertilizer on the actual pitches, for example, can't even afford the markings on the. What is Sheffield the United? Sheffield oh. United supposedly. So this started oh. off early in the season. Apparently, they've missed payments for the likes of Rian Brewster on this transfer. They are supposedly eighty million in debt. We've had today also Wigan Athletic. Yeah, example, I saw the, I saw the Wigan into, news, but yeah. they, that's not the first time for them. But this season, you know, is it? we've had Huddersfield earlier in the week as well, going into that route. Um, there's numerous other clubs that are currently in that position, the likes of Reading, for example, have had that kind of embargo on them. Um, I can't remember, was it Burnley as well, at the beginning of last week as well, before this they, Man City they've match, they've yeah. also got an embargo. So it, it kind of, yeah, I think it's alarming that the amount of championship clubs that are now coming out where they're not able to kind of file their paperwork at the moment. And they they were saying if Sheffield United weren't in this FA Cup run, they probably would be suffering from this. Now, if they were to go into administration, they'd be suffering a 12-point deduction, which would take them to six points or sixth place, should I say, sorry, in the playoffs. So they'd be just a point ahead of Norwich City as it currently stands in that championship table. Um, so, yeah, it does it feel feels, like at the moment they're just on the cusp of... It's all, like, it feels like all they them. have to get promoted. It reminds me yeah. of that Aston Villa situation. Do you remember yeah. a couple of years ago where it was literally promotion or bust? Yeah, and then it was literally. stay up or bust. Like they're that close. And I think we and it's always the teams that have recently come down from the Premier League, you know, Huddersfield yeah, exactly. over the last two years, Sheffield United. I mean, I did think it was strange that Sheffield United were spending like 18 million pounds on the likes of uh Rian Brewster. And clearly uh, that you know they've kept that wage bill mm. in anticipation of going up. And obviously we didn't get you know, we didn't go straight back up last season. Uh, they've had to spend an extra season in the championship, and it's it's baffling. The most baffling one out of that is Reading, though. I saw somewhere they're spending 114% of their turnover on wages. I know, that's insane. It's just, you, and they, and they, you wonder um, what the wages are because if you remember, they had George Puskas, who they bought in from yeah. and they've, he's no longer there anymore. 
Um, so he must be what 20 30k you do, you do wonder but like that. that's that's the thing i don't get is that they've not been the premier league for a few years mm, like you're yeah. talking like seven or eight years i think since they were last in the prem like i don't understand what's going through the mind and the, what's funny that they've got paul Lynch as a manager and they've been <laughs> absolutely nowhere near the premier league like no one did the playoffs no. most no, of the, no, not most for of the, the time does what you does think speaking about the Paul Lynch go you know, diverging slightly <laughs> going back to in the last year he was criticizing the Manchester United coaching staff and saying go you know the likes of Michael Carrick aren't qualified to be in that job and you look at where Michael Carrick you see is where and, he is with Mills yeah exactly. and they just beat Reading like five nil or something like that <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, so yeah it's um but yeah I think that the financial state has been like that since covid and just before yeah um i remember when covid kicked off they were saying like you know the vast majority of championship clubs are not very far at all from mm. going bust um and the likes of wigan as well like they keep going through this cycle where they go into administration they get a new owner get promoted go to administration, get a new owner. I think since Dave Breeden suddenly passed away, they've yeah. done that about two or three times in yeah. the space of a few years, which again, you know, the EFL need to have something in place where they go, right, rather than just, it's have this process where, have you got enough money for the takeover? Yes. Have you got mm-hmm. enough money for this season? Yes. There's no forward planning. I think there yeah. needs to be a process and go, what are you going to do for five years? Where's the money coming from? And I think, yeah, or yeah. X amount is kept into an account where it can be used for wages. Therefore, you have to pay it in. Otherwise, you cannot carry on or become an owner, right? For yeah. Something along those lines. Um, yeah, it's farcical. But, Andy, we have got two other games to quickly just summarize as well. So, we'll start off with your noisy neighbors, the <laughs> blue half of City. They trounced Burnley 6 0. I think it was game set and match by the point that it was the second goal went in. Um, Haaland seems to be a man on a mission to create more records. Um, what do you say about that performance? I mean, it's not, nothing... really, it's not really much you can say. Mm. And I kind of knew that result was coming. Burnley have an awful record against Manchester City anyway. Just generally, um, yeah. just generally even when they're in the Premier League. Yeah. And with the way... Vincent Company was never ever going to change the way he, his team plays just for one game. Of course. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when you try, if you're a championship side and you try to play Man City at their own game, it's only going to end one way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I guess his variables like you can't do anything about Erling Haaland, to be fair. He, he, none of his goals were spectacular, to be honest, but he, was, he just has that knack of being in the right place at the right time. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, take away his physicality and all that kind of stuff, which obviously helps him, but he's just there all of the time. You know, like we talk about Osimhen in Serie A, mm. he's just always there where, yeah. where you need him to be. And I still, yeah. I still don't think City are using him as, as to his potential. Um, which I'll say one observation on that. I felt like, I think it was his second or third goal, they played it a bit more direct. So they didn't yeah. necessarily do the tippy-tappy kind of style that Pep always loves. But I felt like on two of those goals, they were a lot more direct. Um, and it felt like, I don't know about you, they should be doing that a lot more because that's what he thrives on. That's what he did at Dortmund. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I think that's what's missing. But 
Let's talk about also Brighton. They did kill off the dream for Grimsby Town. Having said that, Grimsby Town made it very easy for them. Um, yeah. But yeah, 5-0 victors on the day. Um, word on Grimsby, just fantastic to get there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, They've done they've done well over the past sort of few seasons since bidding off Ian Holloway. Which <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> always that, seems to be yeah, solution to most of problems, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, no, they've done they've done really, really well um in this FA Cup run. They've had a good they've had some good runs over the past couple of years, to be fair. They're going steadily in League Two. Looks like they'll get the points acquired to um, you know, to stay up. Yeah. Um and I think, yeah, they could be very, very, you know, very proud of themselves of the TV mm-hmm. money they'll get yeah, from exactly. those games. That's probably going to set them up for a good, you know, yeah, couple of years yeah, if yeah. they spend it correctly. But I think the class of uh, Brighton told, really, I think my favourite moment was obviously that Evan uh, Ferguson. Um, yes, he his looked, were good. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, but those couple of touches he made for his goal, oh, beautiful. I mean, it looks like Deserby's on earth somebody who could perhaps give him a more clinical edge at a number nine because they're still for all we praise brighton they're still lacking a yeah, true definitely. number nine and maybe the one's been sat there the whole time well, on their yeah, academy um i did love his comments though uh, after the game he said two games in the stands one four nil another five nil i think it's better i get a season ticket for the last <laughs> part of the season um Pretty much sums it up. But Andy, obviously, that does mean Brighton do take on Man United in the semi final, whereas Man City have a slightly easier tie with Sheffield United. Um, are you kind of excited about this kind of semi final tie? Because I suspect, you know, Brighton will cause you trouble. Yeah. Um, it's, it's exciting to obviously be in the semi finals as a fan, uh, but definitely not exciting for the process of playing Brighton. They've yeah made an absolute embarrassment of us the last couple of times we played them. And if we play like we did against Fulham, they'll batter us. Uh, that is not a joke. Uh, <laughs> hope, hopefully some personnel will be back mm. by then because thankfully there's a good one-month gap between you know this round. I think it's like the 21st of April, that kind of weekend, mm. that, um, that the next round is played. So I think a lot of it would depend on where those teams are at in a month's time. Um, I think if the game was to be played tomorrow, I think Brighton could pretend, you know, would most certainly fancy their chances of winning. Um, But, you know, like I said, it depends what we'll see, what the situation is in six weeks' time. I think with the Manchester City-Sheffield United game, I think they're going to get, I think City will absolutely stop them, to be honest. Um, Mm. And they'll get through to the final. Good stuff. Well, we will now go to the Premier League after this break. Hi, I'm Phil Brown and you're listening to the Anglo-Italian podcast. And we are here for the Premier League. And Andy, there was only a handful of games due to the fact that FA Cup weekend did take place. But we've got some fantastic talking points. So let's start off with Southampton 3, Spurs 3. And it was not so much about the result. It's more about the aftermath of a certain <laughs> Antonio Conte that we will probably generate most of the talking point for this match. Um, but Spurs are typically Spursy, aren't they? It's only Tottenham, right? As Alex Ferguson says. Um, so, yeah, Conte spoke some home truths in his interview or 
press conference afterwards. Um, you shared a fantastic tweet with us on the group about what he also said about Daniel Levy and co at Spurs. Um, your initial thoughts when it first came out, what, what did you think? I mean, that's just a man begging to be sacked during the international break. Uh, <laughs> I, I just, it's... It's like Jose, it's Jose Mourinho, he's taking the, the Jose Mourinho guidebook to get himself sacked as quickly as possible. Just to new levels, um, right? <laughs> you know, and the aftermath of those comments seem to be that, the, you know, the players aren't too particularly happy about it. Um, and yeah, it just, it feels like a situation where, you know, just get shot over the international break. Um, I think I think the game itself, Spurs, you know, did play some all right football. Uh, Pedro mm. Porro uh, got his first goal for the club. Yeah. You know, looked decent. You know, especially after yeah, a rocky yeah. couple of couple of games for them, and they're still ultimately in fourth place. Um, yeah, somehow, granted, granted, Newcastle got two games on them, um, yeah. and so and so do Liverpool. Um, so that you know that might not necessarily mm-hmm. be the case come a month or so time, um, but yeah, if you go to Conte's comments, I mean, I mean, a lot of what he said isn't necessarily um, untrue. Um, yeah, I think you know Tottenham Hotspur seem to have built a culture um, and a fun and a structure where winning isn't important. It reminds me a little mm. bit of Ed. Ed Woodward at Man United, but he said at a uh, conference that, you know, we can still be commercially successful without being successful on the pitch. Mm. Um, and that certainly seems to be the approach that Tottenham are taking, you know, with the NFL stuff. And yep. it feels, I think a lot of fans, certainly from the tweets that I've read, it feels like um, the football's not necessarily the priority. And, um, you know, I think someone point, someone I follow pointed out that Davison Sanchez has outlasted Pochettino, Mourinho, <laughs> good at outlast uh, Conte. And I think that that kind of instance, um, you know, the, the inability to replace personnel, you know, since they lost that Champions League final against yep. um, Liverpool, um, it's, it has cost them. And I think... Yeah. They are right. You know, Conte and the fans are right. Nothing's really going to change whilst Daniel Levy is running the club uh, the way that it is. But um, Conte's got to take some responsibility himself. Like, he's one of the most expensively remunerated managers in mm. the Premier League. And his tactic seems to be, like Mourinho, is give it to Kane and Son and hope they do something. And I'm not being funny. I, you'd hope for a bit more than that. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he's got to take his fair share of it. You know, I can't of think of many. I can't think of many players who he's improved. You know, no. he's tried to bring in personnel to make the team better, but I've not seen him take any of the existing players to make them better. You know, Son's regressed a little bit. Um, you know, Kane. To be fair, he's still doing his bit. Um, I think he's one player you can't really. Mm. Put too much criticism at but yeah you know when you're still playing like Davis and Sanchez and Eric Dyer at centre back that's on you that's yeah. on him, to be honest with you um they've still got no proper imagination in the centre mm. of this field they're still quite you know with the likes of you know Huyberg he's serviceable and good and certainly in certainly a defensive sense but yeah. he's not gonna unlock a defence for you 
No, by, he's a defensive-minded player yeah, at the end of the day. And so. yeah, it's just everything about what the all the decisions that they've made over the past few years, you know, apart from obviously the wonderful, wonderful stadium that they've got, they've still got a core of a squad that, you know, they haven't been ambitious enough to replace. Um, well, the way so. I see it is they're dead wood. They're essentially players that have gone past their sell-by dates and they need shipping off. Unfortunately, because of the high wages, because of the high fees involved, they're not going to be able to recoup that. So that's the problem that Spurs have. And an interesting stat, Andy, I, I kind of did this on Saturday. I had a look at the amount of managers they've had since 74, 1974. I think I counted around 31 managers in that space of time. Now, granted, you can say that's before Enix time, that's before Daniel Levy's time. But there doesn't seem to be a clear, coherent understanding of where they want to drive this club. Because if you think about even before kind of Maurizio Pochettino time, they were going through managers like they were nothing. Like maybe the most stable time they had was maybe under Harry Redknapp at the time. And that was a bit like fortuitous, I feel, at times. Um, but that's more managers than Liverpool have had during the whole course of their history. And I'm sure that's the same with Man United, I suspect, without even looking at the books. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that shows what the issues are. But you're right to say Conte needs to take responsibility because partially his fault as well as the club. Um, just conscious that we want to talk about some other games as well. One other kind of game that really I thought we should talk about is Chelsea. Uh, yeah. Drawing two all against Everton, Everton fantastically getting themselves back into the game twice. Um, Ellis Sims obviously coming on as a sub. I think it was literally with five minutes ago, and superbly spins his defender Kulabali to slot past Kepo, who I thought could have done better for that equaliser. Um, but more issues for Chelsea. Um, on this occasion, I felt like they couldn't defend to save their lives. Um, but it's a typical kind of Daesh thing to do, like turn up at these places and just play the unattractive football that gets results. Um, do you think Everton have turned the kind of corner? Yeah, it- I, th- I think I think with Everton is that on the large part, what Daesh has done is he's kept them in games. They've mm. not gi- they've not given up, and they're yeah they're grinding out. The grinding out results out of you know sometimes nothing, um, you know not even despite Chelsea's slightly dodgy form, I don't think anyone expected them to uh, Everton to come out of a result for that one. But so uh, you know with that midfield of um, Onana, Drissagay, and Decore, that is a hard working, hard hitting midfield um, that you know can last last a full game. They've got a little bit of quality about them as well, yeah. and I think um, he's. He certainly make he's doing what Lampard couldn't do in the year or so that he was there, um, and make them look a lot more solid. Um, but I think we've go to Chelsea though. I think Kudibale, I think, you know, I think two thirds into a season, I think it's a reasonable judgment to make that it hasn't worked out as they'd expected. Um, he's been quite poor for quite a mm. large part of the season you know he's got an error he, he always sees you know he seems to have a, quite a lot of errors in him at the moment yeah. uh you know the Kudabali that i saw at napoli a couple of years ago i don't think would have let sims turn him no, the way that not, he did he'd have gone way. he'd have gone a couple of yards further back mm. um at least you know took him out wide um and i think that how yeah um i think with kelsey they're still searching for their identity but again until they get 
a proper, proper number nine. Uh, they're not going to go anywhere. Kai Havertz is their top scorer on seven goals in the Premier League. Mm. Raheem Sterling um, is on four. And to be fair, I think it's not unreasonable to say that you'd expect a better return for the money and the money. I think the thing with Sterling is he has scored more goals. They're always bloody offside or he gets <laughs> himself offside, right? But yeah. Oh, he got, he got those decisions at City, but now he's moved. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there is that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in terms of Chelsea, I mean, do we expect those kind of issues to be resolved? Do you think it's just going to take time? Because it felt like for a period of time, Potter was getting somewhere with this squad or is there something? I think, he, I think he is. I think he is getting somewhere. You look at the games mm. against, you know, you look at those sort of recent games, uh, you know, to pull out the result that they did against uh, Bournemouth. Um, you know, they've been unlucky with some of the injuries that they've had with Chilwell and Reese James being out injured yeah. for quite a long time. Now that they're back, they seem to give them a bit more thrust, a bit more penetration um, in attack. You know, they've um, they've ground out results against Leeds and, you know, away um, mm. at Leicester City. And I think um, they are starting, I think Potty started to find his best 11. I think having those first choice figures available will certainly help him out. Um, but there are some things that Potter or Chelsea as a whole aren't going to be able to address until the summer. Uh, you know, as much as uh, Kepa um, sort of redemption arc has been quite admirable, I still don't, he's not good. He's still not going to be good enough to be a, a number one for them in the long term. I think they've done well to get what they have out of him because he was out in the cold. Uh, Michel Felix as well. I think he's mm. a fantastic player, but he needs to be in the hole behind the number nine, not as the number nine. And, then, yeah. and that's what we're doing. And I think Potter's just trying to make the most of what he has available to them at the moment. Um, I think that Fernandez Kovacic midfield is working is started to work quite well and i think if you could keep reese james and ben chilwell fit for the rest of the season that would give them there i mean that does beg the question of why they spent 60 million pounds on cucurella uh <laughs> <laughs> you know they spent they, they spent yeah. 60 million pounds on a left back that they didn't really need whether that could have been spent on the forwards um but i think i think the league doesn't matter too much to them this season, I think, um, I think it's put if they do themselves justice in Europe, which they have got previous for, um, you know, Thomas Tuchel did it, um, in his first season mm. at Chelsea. You know, even Roberto Di Matteo, uh, had a shocking league campaign, but got them to, got them together for those one off games, uh, where they seem to really pull together and go above themselves. So it's not unreasonable. To think that it, that might happen with um, with Chelsea, so I think Potter will get given till the summer to get some personnel in. But if he doesn't start next mm. season, well, be off. And I think Chelsea see determined to make it work. Yes, this is it. Um, quick, I'll or quickly, I want to kind of move on to Crystal Palace taking on Arsenal. So Arsenal here four one victors on the day. I wanted to talk more so on Crystal Palace because obviously they made that kind of sharp change. They moved to a sack Patrick Vieira after mm. that uh, defeat against Brighton. Um, at the time, I was a bit bewildered by that personally, but I can see why they've decided to do that because of the form. Having said that, the rumours are Roy Hodgson might be coming back. 
Um, and I'm looking at their kind of fixture run going forward. If they kept Vieira, and let's just say hypothetically, there's no change to the result against Arsenal, they still lose. They've got more of a favourable run going forwards because it's against teams that they could win games against. So, you know, if you look at the next game, they've got Leicester, then they've got the lights of Leeds still to play. Um, well, let me have a look at that fixture list again. Um, I believe they still got to go away to Southampton. They're at home to Everton and away to Wolves. These are big games that you anticipate. I personally would say they get at least, say, four to five points out of that run. Do you think the decision to sack Vieira has been a bit of a weird one or do you kind of side with Crystal Palace fans that kind of see the form and kind of go, there was no plan B, there doesn't seem like there was a way out for him? I mean, I'm looking at I'm looking at Crystal Palace's games that they've had since the turn of the year when they last won the game. They've played, you know, they played Tottenham, they've played Chelsea, they've played Manchester United twice. They've played a very good Newcastle and Brighton side. Um, you know, they've played they played you know Manchester City. Like the only games where I felt you know maybe they could you know they played Brentford and Villa away from home yeah. as well. So there's not really many games out of that where you look and go, yeah, you should be winning that, uh, if I'm being completely honest. Um, and they're still in 12th place, but I think they've just panicked because they are, although they're in 12th place, which is where they were last season, they're only a couple of points of relegation. And we're in a unique situation where we're you know, pretty much near coming towards the final quarter of the Premier League and nine, three out of nine teams could realistically go down this season. The bit mm. that doesn't make sense, so I can understand the logic in sacking him if you've, you know, you've not won in about 11, 12 games and you think, right, I need to get some points. Bringing Roy Hodgson back this late in the season, one, it feels like a regression because they spent an awful lot, you know, they invested in um Vieira and the squad, you know, to change the style mm. and the type of personnel, you know, and the type of football that Crystal Palace have been known for under Roy Hodgson, um, to go back to him. And yeah, I'm not necessarily, you know, and to be fair, it's, there's no guarantee it'll work either because um, Roy Hodgson took over Watford in the, uh, you know, a good three or four months earlier um, in the season last year and they still went down. Um, it it just feels like a bit of a regressive move, and yeah, they, they feel it feels like they've panicked, realized they don't have many options, and yeah. got on the phone, got on the phone to Roy because he knows the place and he knows the players. <laughs> it feels like a very sort of lazy, hastily thought out decision. That deal's mm. not even agreed either, so yeah, it's very clearly that it's very clear that they've had no plan they felt like they're just giving themselves the international break to sort of make a decision somewhere but yeah what do you think on your end i think with the players they had at this disposal and think about the clubs that are around them in that kind of space i still feel like they would have got results somewhere along the line enough to keep them up i uh, appreciate they were kind of on the way down but i kind of go back to january transfer window and think did they really give Vieira a chance to actually bring in some players? Striker-wise, they were always kind of a bit not not. I don't think they've got enough quality, should we say? Mm. I mean, Edouard, 
I don't know how long that's going to kind of rub off and he will eventually start scoring goals, but it, it doesn't feel like he's going scoring them on a consistent basis. Mateta, when he first came, seemed to have this rich vein of form and it's kind of gone by the wayside. And I wonder what, who else could they bring in? Like Wilfred Zaha, I, I don't necessarily believe he's the natural replacement for either of those two. He's proving it with his current form. He's more of a winger. Realistically, he's not the kind of player to score you goals. So that leaves you with a huge dilemma. Um, I do feel like Eberichi is a seems to be used sparingly. Uh, I, I do wonder why that has been the case. And um, because every time he's come on, he always seems to be the bright spark. He seems to create stuff. Um, much like uh, Michael Elise, for example. I know I know, I know Eze away. had a long-term injury last season. I think maybe so I think maybe that's he hasn't quite come back in the form that he was in prior to that injury. I think maybe that's a potential reason for it. But could be that. But I mean e- easily as well, you think about defensively, do we feel they're strong enough, like with the players that they've got? Um so I, I feel like there's only one thing that team can do and that's attack they've got attacking minded players right so play to your strengths and that's what, and, and and that again is kind of leads to the decision of why why would you pick Roy Hodgson because he's exactly. not if if uh, Patrick Vieira can't get anything out of that attacking group of players I'm not necessarily no. sure what um they're going to get and I think you know going back to their defense you've got the likes of Joel Ward that have been at Palace for years and probably should have long since been replaced by this point (laughs) you know James Tompkins as well like he's championship he's a championship level center back that shouldn't still really be uh at Crystal Palace you know you know likes of sort of um Will Hughes, Nathaniel Klein, Jaira Valdivirel they've been at the club Mm. for quite a while and you know, they're not then you know, same George Ayu as well. There's still yeah, a good group of players that should really have been moved on at this point. And you know, as you alluded to earlier, it feels like the the hierarchy haven't done haven't been able to make those moves happen to give them the the yeah. the you know the budget room to get somebody else in. Um, but also, so, Andy, I mean, just quickly. Where do you think Chris Palace should be as a as a like if you think at the beginning of the season, do you think 13th is respectable given yeah. I, I think so as well. And given that Vieira last season took them to a FA Cup semi-final as well, which is probably unexpected for them. Like, granted, this feels like Vieira was just suffering that second season syndrome where like just things don't go right. Sometimes it just doesn't happen, right? But he's still got a decent squad. Like you feel, I personally feel like he would have got the best out of them for the following season if they didn't, like you know, end up where they desired. For example, um, I, I don't know. I just feel like it's just short-sighted. They've kind of looked at it, like you say, they've looked at the money side and gone, "We can't afford to go down. We can't afford to do X, so we need to stay up in this league." And it just feels like a Sam Allardyce is going to come through the door and then of cause them more mayhem in, in the long run. So yeah, it just it does. Yeah, and I don't, I don't. If if they finish the season in twelfth, like I'm fairly sure most Palace fans would think that's where they'd expect to be. Yeah. They've they don't have they've not spent the kind of money you know like West Ham have for instance, yeah. where you know you spend if you spent the kind of money that West Ham have for for instance, then yeah maybe you think we should pu- be pushing for top half, but they haven't got the players 
they haven't spent the money or, or invested the money to be able to justify thinking that top you know a top half would be uh, where they should be finishing so i think where they are at the moment is where they where they should be at as a club exactly. um it's so uh, you know i don't see you know whoever comes in short term is it going to make a huge difference to that and yeah it, it it just seems a very odd move and it's like i said i think they're just panicking because there's so there's only a couple of points in it whereas perhaps last year you know a, a good with like what, what was it you know watford and i think who, who else was it last season uh were more or less down yeah more i'm struggling to think who it was now but um <laughs> I think it's just the way, isn't it? We'll park it there. We'll definitely continue this chat another time because it feels like this has still got legs in it. Um, just to make sure Rory doesn't yell at us because we haven't mentioned Arsenal. Well done, Arsenal. And Bukayo Saka <laughs> is the first player to reach double figures for goals and assists this season in the Premier League. So well done to him. He's 21 years old, doing fantastically well. I'm just going to quickly run down through the other results that did take place over this weekend. So Nottingham Forest losing against Newcastle 2-1. Uh, Aston Villa beating Bournemouth Andy 3-0. Quite straightforward there. Brentford winning or drawing, should I say, one all against Leicester City. I think that was a bit of a surprise point there anyway for Leicester, given their form. And Wolverhampton Wanderers losing 4-2 to Leeds at home. Believe it or not, this fixture had the same scoreline two years ago. And the interesting one for you, Andy, same goal scorers on that day as well. How spooky oh, is that? Almost that on spooky. par with Sonny March <laughs> scoring on the 15th minute on the 15th day, right? Um, so, yes, on that point, we are going to take a break and take you in to some Serie A. My name is Massimo Morales and you are listening to Anglo-Italian Podcast. And we are here for some Serie A action. We had some fantastic games, Andy, um, some big ones as well, because we had the Derby della Capitale. So we saw Lazio taking on Roma. We also had the Derby di Italia, which was Inter taking on Juventus. And that's the thing that I want to lead with first, Andy, was that handball decision that changed the complexity <laughs> of the game. And I'm going to ask you a very simple question. How is that not handball? Not just I, for Rabio, but also for Vlavic. I mean, it's bonkers. Yeah, I saw that, you know, just before we came with the pod, I watched it about four or five times. Just thinking, all right, from the referee's point of view, Vlavic... Right, maybe there's a bit of an argument there. You can't be a hundred percent certain, but it looked like he brushed his arm at the very least. But you give the fine, give him the benefit of a doubt. But wrapping it, I'm just like he's, he's literally taking it down with his arm. And I mean, all right, it's a nice pass out wide, but yeah, you 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 can un, you can understand Inter fans not being happy with that one. Um, I mean, granted, the, the the defending for the goal itself was extremely poor yeah and we'll I mean, talk about that but separately yeah, the handball yeah. decision was terrible wasn't it i, I mean yeah, the amount of times i think the rationale given as well apparently according to um the press is that they took forever to decide whether it was handball and by that kind of hypothesis because it wasn't clear and obvious they decided that it should be given as a goal but i'm sorry but every kind of 
clip that I see, you can kind of see the ball kind of bounce in a different direction. And even at the time, I was just expecting it to be ruled off like, yeah. just because of that. Um, but as you're highlighted into a pretty poor in this match, probably not helped by the way Juventus play, which is quite dogged, quite defensive minded. However, they kind of played into the hands, like you say, for that first goal. Between Damian and Dumfries, I don't know what they were doing, um, but down that right-hand side, they were really exposed, left it open, made it easy for Juventus. And Juventus, to be fair, up until that point, were the more, more threatening. They kind of looked like they were going to cause some troubles. They were pressing quite often. Fajoli in the middle of pitch seemed to be just purring. He seemed to love it. Every moment he kind of got the ball doing flicks. Um, so it really did kind of cater to his game. Interestingly, we didn't see Di Maria come on. Um, he was left on the bench for this particular match. Um, but there was a bit worrying signs for Juventus fans and Italy fans. Federico Chiesa hobbled off after coming on initially as a substitute. Andy, I, I do feel sorry for him because he's a guy he's I'd a lot to of see in, playing. He's, and he's having, yeah, he's had a lot of injury um, issues over the past yeah. well, more than since the Euros going back that far, yeah. really. Um, and I think, yeah, you know, for both the football fan and you know for Italy fans, but he is a vital part of a national setup and it would be for Juve if he could stay fit. So hopefully it's nothing too serious. I mean, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, if he needs to keep him keep himself out of his international break for his his long term health, then I don't think many people would complain about that. Um, mm. But yeah, it is it is a miss for them. Uh, but you know, for Goli, I think he's been impressive. I think yeah, you know, that's probably good coaching. That finding solutes, you know, when you're when a fluke been, from Allegri, maybe maybe a, little, maybe a little bit of both. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, to be fair though, you know, when you look at where they were around about, you know, what just before the World Cup, um, you know. When you're in the position where you're massively under pressure, you've been dumped up the Champions League, and you know, obviously, you know, be deducted 15 points. That there's not much movement to get in the transfer market. You have to find solutions from within, and for you know, by fortune or uh, whatever, they've mm. found that in midfield, and their midfield looks the most balanced it has been um for you know for a few years rabio to be fair is having quite a good season yeah definitely quite, has, yeah. he's got a bit of consistency kept his head down and got on with it um which is not something you normally uh, associate with we're him not predicting it at the beginning of the season no, that's for sure not at all um and they're finding they're just find they're finding ways to get results um cost it just been impressive i think he's been a good player good yeah player. Good, we, we good fancied player. it from frankfurt didn't we yeah um and what he does the same thing at juve as he did it at um at frankfurt he always goes with the far posts with his finishes and mm. hits it hits it low and hard um the bit that just really confused me for that goal was anana's positioning i do not i don't yeah. I'm, not, I'm not a goalkeeper so maybe i've missed something but I don't understand his positioning. Like, surely, why are you at your near post <laughs> and have that much space to your left? Yeah, you know, got to do. You kind of you kind of showing him where to put it, but not putting yourself in a position where you can save it. Um, it it also just... doesn't help when Dunzel Dumfries is in front of you, flat in front of you, and is supposedly trying to block that side, but then doesn't even stick out a leg. It's just like... I mean, Darmian and Dumfries between them was an absolute shit show. I mean, even <laughs> after that goal, Kostic was just left in space on a good Constant two, three, yeah. 
occasions um and you know with a, with a bit more of gambling at the uh, the far post with a nice little cross and you know it could have been a lot, lot worse uh, mm. for Aiden Turner. I felt that um, aside from, you know, the likes of Barella and Mkhitaryan, you know, trying shots on range, it they didn't really penetrate particularly much. Um, you know, there's, they, they didn't have many clear, clear, proper clear chances, but they have, you know, like what seems to be the trend this weekend, though, is Syria's getting people sent off after the game is finished. <laughs> <laughs> it's this just. Is- this it was, was their favourite sport, wasn't it? This it oh, it was. It's just so unnecessary as well. Like you know, <laughs> it was a naughty, it was a naughty little dig for Ambrosio at the end, and it was just unnecessary. And then you know, obviously, Paredes gets his old gets himself involved unnecessarily, even though his team have won the game. But he loves it. He loves it. He's that oh, type he of player. It. He just loves rubbing them up the wrong well, way. But... Yeah, I mean, he's part of the Argentina's World Cup squad. <laughs> exactly. Like, all yeah. of them love shit housing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. It's... But quick quick word on the Inter then. Obviously, you saw them in this match. They were in the Champions League quarter, uh, quarterfinals somehow. Um do you feel they're the weakest side in this kind of last eight of the Champions League? Because I fancy Benfica on the form they're in. Yeah. And um, just a quick word in terms of the league as well. Do you think Inter end up in the top four by the end of this season? Because the way they're going, I, I think they're falling out of it. I mean, with three, I mean, they've lost, what, three of out of their far, last five recently which is poor by their standards um you know losing to you know the lost to spezia uh the lost to bologna teams that should really be beating uh mm. to be honest so um i mean th- if you look at their fixtures they've got san latana uh, monza empoli um you know games where they feel they should get some points out of you know to give themselves a bit of confidence but you know and with the uh with a couple of games before that uh, Benfica tie, maybe they could put themselves in the, in a bit of form before then. But again, mm. if you go in the current situation as it is now, there is a danger that um, they'll do one of two things. They'll either be in dreadful form to get battered by Benfica anyway, or yeah. they start panicking about top four, not put their full focus in the Champions League and then get dumped out through that mm. you know by that approach um but yeah you, you would certainly back benfica um as it stands mm. and looking at juventus obviously if it wasn't for the 15 point deduction they'd be technically uh, second place right now um having a fantastic second half of this season given the shit we gave them in the first part of this season um what what, what do you put it down to do you think they just found a groove or is it more personnel just pulling out results? What do you reckon? I think they just found. I think they just found the groove. Um, I think maybe you know because they weren't able or couldn't afford to get rid of Allegri. It's kind of it kind of feels like everyone's at Juve has just been forced to make do with what they've got and make it work. Um, mm. But to be fair, like you know, even like just you know just after the World Cup, they put through five or six clean sheets in a row, put together a really good um, run of results, and I think. There seems with the Europa League campaign going as well as it is for them as well. I think there's a belief that they can still get something out of this season. Uh, mm. I think they, you know, they they seem to have 
found a bit of freedom they've got that 15 point deduction they can't control that they can't control what happens next but they can certainly sort of control the results um going forward and i think you know i think to get the indian summer out of Dean maria um has helped yeah. massively because he's you know i was hugely critical of that signing i thought it was a very typical uva signing besides somebody <laughs> high like, wages hey, free transfer yeah, high yeah. wages 34 free transfer but um and debria for watching him for over the years has never really come across as somebody who can fight and scrap when your team are up against it um yeah. But it seems to have um, done all right for Juve. So, yeah. Certainly has, alongside of Wojciech Szczesny, who didn't concede. So, well done, Wojciech. Um, we will now move yeah, on. As you, we have to mention <laughs> it just because I give him enough shit every week anyway. Um, let's move on to the other game, the car, uh, Derby de, delle Capitale, which was Lazio taking on Roma. Uh, as you nicely introduced as well for the previous match, lots of red cards after this match as well, <laughs> as well as during it, thanks to a certain Ibanez, um, you know, terrible defending. I don't know what he was doing for half of it, but Lazio certainly deserved this. Andy, um, Luis Alberto seemed to be on fire. Um, I think the scene that kind of summarizes this match really nicely is when Ibanez does get sent off. Sergei Milinkovic Savic is rolling his <laughs> shoulders, winding up the crowd yeah. to give it even more was... shit. Um, but yeah, fantastic win for Lazio, puts them into second place. Maurizio Sari, he seems to, I think, like, love this relationship with Lazio. It feels like it's a nice fit because it's a club that he can kind of embellish make it into his own um do you think they've got enough to stay in the top four at this point i think so and i think with Mauricio sorry the thing that he's not been afforded at his previous clubs is time um mm. you know and he seemed he was underappreciated treated disgracefully by the chelsea fans to Definitely. be honest and juventus in fairness and juventus fans like he's not his face it's one of those his face didn't fit he's not like a young fashionable uh nagelsman type you know too cool <laughs> hipster. Or, you know, hipster with glasses basically he's not that kind of figure yeah um and it, it feels like those kind of fan bases made a pre made a judgment for judgment out of them you know before they decided before he'd even got the job that he wasn't yeah. it um and i don't think he'd help that too much so ultimately even though he did win the league with uh was he did, did he, you know he's won the league title he's won a trophy you know in the past at those aforementioned clubs so yeah and i think i think with um lazio fans they have they do have a little bit of us against them mentality um, mm. I mean, if they could be a little bit racist, maybe that, a little bit less racist, that <laughs> maybe that wouldn't be the case. Uh, but um, no, aside from that, I think he's a good fit. Uh, mm. They do play, they do play some nice football, and you can you can see it in their performances that they they're slowly getting better at sort of keeping it, working it. Um, you know, granted, uh, you get Luis Alberto who just goes to hell with it a lot of the time, just <laughs> picks up the ball and has a go. Um, and you know, and that, and he was the catalyst for a lot of the penetration that went on um, for that game. So I think, um, yeah, I think Richie Sarri does a lot, deserves a lot of credit because I remember we said about a month or so ago we we thought Lazio didn't have the consistency 
yeah, yeah. maybe they still won't um but they've certainly given themselves a good chance uh but i think you know but they're even getting with like you know with pedro and felipe yeah. anderson he's get you know considering they're sort of bombed out the premier league they he's, he's getting performances out of them uh mm-hmm. you know um sakagni and um, done, yes. really, done quite well received as well been consistent yeah. um i thought and obviously on roma's part it was just brain dead moments really to be honest with you um with mm. Ibez, i felt sort of sorry for him on that second on the on the second yellow that he got yeah. because he he realized he'd mistimed it pull pulls Pull out back. yeah uh, but let's it's let's it's probably fair to say the Lazio player absolutely made sure there was going to be contact yeah Milukovic like, Savage made sure he bought that he bought yeah it like there was time. no there was no way he was going to no. avoid that tackle whatsoever he no. was going to make sure he got hit uh but he's he's what it is you know at the end of the day he committed himself he was late and yeah. however unfortunate it is for him that's an unfortunate consequence. And when you've got to play 60 odd minutes with 10 men, it doesn't normally end well for you. Um, obviously, you know, obviously they had the disallowed goal as well, but this morning was well offside and didn't need to be there. So yeah. um, it's, yeah, I, th- I think um, it's just a bad day at the office for Roma. Um, they seem to be incredibly inconsistent at the moment. You don't know what you're going to get for them yeah, week exactly. in, week out at the moment. Because uh, you know they pull out, you know they pull out some great performances, and then they just have some absolute stinkers like they've done at the weekend. And I think their discipline as well. Um, obviously, you know they got went down to ten men and gets a swallow um mm. as well Jose keeps getting himself sent off they've had a couple of players sent off again um and it's not like even at the end of games they're getting players sent off before half time you know Kambala yeah. the previous week match week against yeah, Sassuolo yeah. and you know at the end of the day if you you can go 10-15 minutes probably down to 10 men and maybe see it out but yeah. for a whole half or more it's difficult not so yeah yeah, I think there needs to be a bit more calm and discipline. Yes, but that won't happen with Mourinho. No, of that, that wouldn't be that wouldn't be a Mourinho and it star. Wouldn't, it, it wouldn't be entertaining otherwise, would it? So no, exactly. no, I think I think Lazio played well. They deserve the more. Yeah, they deserved it more than deserved it. Bad day in the office for Roma. Unlucky Roma I fans. Patric- yeah, I thought Patricio, Rui Patricio, probably kept him in it. To be honest, yeah, Get, yeah, um, he was the only one that deserves any credit out of this I match. Think uh, if that game finished three, three, four nil to Lazio, I don't, I don't think Roma could have had any complaints. No, exactly. To be honest, exactly. Well, Andy, I want to go to the history making that took place in Udine. So it was Udinese who took on Milan. Udinese winning this match 3-1, this despite Ibrahimovic setting a record for not only being the oldest player in Serie A to turn out, but also being the oldest player to score a goal. This is the record that he took away from Alessandro Costa-Curta, who was 37 years old when he scored for AC Milan, ironically. Um, but yeah, again, we, we when we're talking about Roman inconsistency, we're having this same conversation with Milan again. It felt like a few weeks ago that it turned a corner and then they bring out this performance. Now, Udinese haven't been fantastic this season, um, but they've been one of those that kind of showed a glimmer of what they could potentially show us in the first half of this season. And this, ironically, after they lost to Milan 
in Milan, and that was a 4-2 defeat on the day. Um, but yeah, Udinese truly deserved this result. Um, what, what have you made of this particular game? Because me and Rory were talking about who's superlatives, I suppose, about how Pioli turned a corner, you know, got Malik Diao, who kind of showed some potential to be a really dominant force. But again, it was that kind of slip up. They were sloppy. They weren't picking up markers. And they just made it easy for Udinese. I mean, how, how did you see this result? Yeah, I thought, I thought, there was, I thought basically Milan were like sloppy. You know, they seemed to be sloppy in possession. Uh, give, they gave the ball away to some really sort of dodgy places, um, mm. to be honest. And, you know, I mean, the goals, uh, the, the, usually there's no such thing as a bad goal, but um, all three of the... Um, you today's goals were fucking awful. I mean, they're goals, <laughs> and you know, but if you're the defending side and you've conceded, you know, Pereira's yeah. goals are sort of crawled in. Uh, you know, the, the, the last the last goal from uh Kings from Kingsley just was tapped in, um, really awkwardly, and it was just some really, um, just very, very strange defending and even stranger finishing, but um. Mm. You know, and obviously there was a whole hoo-ha with the penalty being retaken and, you know, um, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I think Milan, uh, they just they just weren't at it. Um, I think, although you could be, although they, you know, they've had history being made that Slatin Bovic is the oldest player to score the goal in the Premier League. The fact they're still having to turn to him uh, for goals um, is still a little bit on the worrying side. <laughs> yeah. It's um it it feels like you know Giroud post World Cup um mm-hmm. you know with obviously Slatin Bahujo's injury issues uh Divokarigi's not quite done it they're they're really lacking a proper goal scorer up front at the moment and I think that's something they need to invest in during the summer but yeah I think they just they just when Milan play badly they have a stinker they're not yes. you know they're not the sort of team who can grind out a result when they're playing badly. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've seen Napoli do it a couple of times this season. Juve are very, very good at doing it, but Milan aren't. Um, mm. even, even last season, to be fair, they played. if they played badly, they would get a negative result. They just don't seem to have an ability to grind out results or, shut the, or do the basics right when you're not playing well. Um, yeah. I think that's been a difficulty for them over the season is just keep it just keep do the basics well and the rest of it will come afterwards mm. did you hear about the mad stats about uh marco silvestri the udinese goalkeeper and his record with uh penalty kicks so obviously ibrahimovic initially had his efforts saved Save, yeah. because but despite that there was encroachment and it meant he had to retake it which he obviously took um but silvestri has also previous where he's saved three other penalties and on each occasion they've also been retaken due to encroachment by a defender and so it goes to show you Udinese not very good at defending penalty kicks either they just need to make sure they just don't run in the box when that happens um but good result for Udinese there um I'm gonna move on quickly because we have got a few games to talk about as well the big one being Sampdoria, who I didn't anticipate would ever be talking about having a victory, but they did take it. They won 3-1 against Hellas Verona 
Maniolo Gabadini for the second goal was a spectacular effort from distance. And Andy, a gay, oh, name from the past, Jesse Rodriguez, that Stoke City legend. Um, <laughs> he sets up the third for Alessandro Zanoli, who took his effort really well. Um, Zanoli, who we spoke about last week on the pod for his performance against Juventus, a player to keep an eye out of for sure. Um, but I'm going to run through the fixtures that did take place. So on Friday night, we saw Sassuolo taking a much important win against Spezia. Spezia are now very much in the kind of relegation dogfight. I did expect them to pull themselves out of it, but it feels like they're getting dragged into it. Atalanta also uh, securing a 2-1 win against Empoli, so a good win there. Monza drawing one all against Cremonese. Salernitana, a side that we've been slating, Andy, um, starting to pick up results. So uh, they got a result on Monday against Milan and they got a result this time against Bologna. So two all there. Good uh, result for them, given the form of Bologna. And in terms of Sunday's fixtures, we also saw Fiorentina winning 1-0 against Lecce. And the other game, Torino losing 4-0 to Napoli again. Uh, Napoli looking superb. I don't know if you saw the header for this one. In particular I haven't Osimen. seen it, no. Um, but... We talk about Osimhen and his all-round game. And I think there's been for a few weeks people saying about he can't head the ball. Well, he took his effort superbly in this match from a Zelinski corner. Definitely YouTube it if you haven't already done so. So that pretty much makes sure that uh, Napoli are top of the table at the moment. Their next game when they're coming back from the international break is against AC Milan. So that'll be a feisty game for sure. Um, but at the bottom as well, Cremonese are now bottom with Sampdoria and Hellas Verona in the other places. Um, Andy, we're going to now move on to it's international week slash weekend. And uh, we have got, yeah, as you can tell by the enthusiasm of Andy, we're definitely <laughs> looking forward to this week and weekend. Um, but let's use this kind of 10 minutes to kind of talk about England taking on Italy. It'll take place in Naples on Thursday. Um, contrasting feelings from both camps here. So I'm going to take over from an Italian perspective and you would talk about England. If we start off with England, I think the squad choices seems a bit underwhelming. Didn't feel necessarily like a lot of players were picked based on form. It seems to be another Southgate's favourites. But the one player that seems to be looking likely that he might turn up for this match is Ivan Tony. Um, do you think there is a chance that he could come on or maybe even start in this match? Yeah, I think as much as um, you could, I mean, the, the squad selection was a, a bit of a shocker, to be honest with you. But out of people that have absolutely earned their place, Ivan Tony is one of them. Um, and I think if it wasn't for his um, extracurricular activities, probably could have potentially been in the World Cup squad. Um, <laughs> but um, no, he, he deserves his opportunity, and I think he, he deserves at least a chance. You know, even if it's like 20 minutes in the game, um, you know, the Nations League isn't that important mm. uh you know i think um with kane he could still he could do with a bit of a rest for both club and country at the moment so uh yeah you'd certainly give him a chance and i think he just certainly deserves one 
Definitely. And the other name I think could stand a chance is maybe James Madison, based on his form for Leicester City. Um, Mason Mount had to pull out of the squad today. Um, do you think this gives him a chance of coming off the bench or, you know, making a cameo appearance? Because we're not just talking about Italy. Obviously, England have also got to take on Ukraine. Um, so, yeah, chance for him to actually make one of those games? He should do, yeah. Um, it's because he's one of the few sort of proper attacking midfielders mm. of quality that's in that England squad at the moment. Because, I mean, Conor, Conor Gallagher, I don't know what he's done to get to the England squad. Jordan Henderson has been absolutely pony for a while. Yeah. Um, Calvin Phillips hasn't even played football, <laughs> has he? Really? Like, Athlete. Athlete. like it is, it's utterly bewildering. You know, even Dr. Rice is probably having a diff. He's having an okay season, but he's a not brilliant. Season. No, I wouldn't not necessarily brilliant. have him um, there. So yeah, yeah, it's I mean that, and that's where I'm worried about squad. The forwards, you can go, you know what? Fair enough. Yeah, exactly. And if you miss out to one of those forwards that are in the England squad at the moment, that's not a disgrace, to be honest yeah. with you. And I think Southgate has chosen well there, but it's just a midfield. We're going to get overrun by Italy. I mean, Drew uh, Bellingham is, you know. And James Madison are probably the only two midfielders in that squad that are on form and can make a difference. Um, but you just know that um, he's going to play a midfield three of like, you know, Henderson, Phillips and Bellingham. Mm. And, you know, even in defence as well, it's just um, Mark Gray's been part of the Crystal Palace squad that has not been exactly been keeping goals out. Granted, yeah. he's a very promising player. I probably will be a fixture for England going forward, so fair enough. But, mm. um, you know, Harry Maguire, um, I don't like to keep piling on him, but you can understand why opposition you know fans of other teams are like what the hell uh when exactly. you got tamori he's been the you know one of the best center backs in syria for quite a long time now there's other center backs that play week in week out in the mm. premier league that i don't lewis dunk that. yeah lewis dunk uh same with eric dyer as well like oh he's terrible he's, <laughs> he's not he's, he, he's got yeah. something on southgate hasn't he he's got he some pictures he, hasn't he, 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 like he, he must have his only fans or something like that <laughs> yeah know. exactly um you know again as well like with uh jordan pickford i think his form has been a bit you know alongside with the rest mm. of everton he hasn't been particularly i great. felt he and, could have saved something against chelsea one of those goals he should have saved i feel yeah and but again you you still know for a fact that regardless of what's happening at club level uh, Ramsdale's not going to start ahead of him and Pickford no. is going to be the number one. Um, so, yeah, I think it was an opportunity for Southgate to refresh the squad a little bit. Uh, yep. It's the first international break after the World Cup. A good chance to see what other players are going to be there for the next cycle. Because I don't... The other side of it as well is that, there's, you know, the likes of Eric Dyer, Jordan Henderson, like, I'd be very, very surprised if they're still in the picture by the time the, the Euros come around. Mm. Um, you know, in 18 months' time. So it's very odd squad planning from Southgate. Yes. Well, I think for the Italy perspective, you kind of have similar kind of debates going on. Um, the big issue is up top at the moment for Italy because they don't necessarily have a recognised striker that is scoring goals. So if I mention these names, you probably will shake your head, Andy, and go, who? But Vicenzo Grifo, who's been brought in from Freiburg, Simeone Pafundi, he's a youth player that is playing for Udinese. 
hasn't appeared for the Italy national squad. And then you've also got Matteo Rategu, who plays currently in Tigre in Mexico. He qualifies because he is Argentinian by birth, but he qualifies through his grandparents who have got Italian Sketchy passport. Link. <laughs> exactly. So they're coming out. They're coming out right now. Argentina. There's also been a few questions about their midfield as well. Like we mentioned about Fajoli, should he be in the squad? There's no Locatelli, for example. Even when you look at the defensive lineup. So if I mention these names, you probably will kind of connect these. So Francesco Acerbi at Inter. You've got Leonardo Bonucci at Juventus, who's basically on last legs. He's got glass legs these days. Alessandro Bongiorno, who plays for Torino. Matteo Damian, who is mentioned in Inter. So I think a lot of those England attacking players will be purring at this. Um, Giovanni Di Lorenzo at Napoli, having a good season. Federico Di Marco having great season at Inter. But then you look at Alessio Robagnoli at Lazio, Giorgio Scalvini, who I do rate, but maybe a bit young for this to go into this game at, from Atalanta. Uh, Spinazzola from Roma, we know what he can do. And Rafael Toloi at Atalanta. Um, so, yeah, when you think about that, you kind of think there's some weaknesses there. But it's midfield, as you alluded to, they're quite strong. So, Barella, they got Cristante, Fratesi, Giorgino, Pellegrini, Matteo Pessina from Monza, which was a bit of a surprise, Sandro Tonali at Milan, and Marco Verratti from PSG. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm curious about how this match goes. I, I feel that if England score an early goal, they might score more. Um, but where do you naturally see this game going? Do you think it will be a case of Southgate sets up to close off and make sure there's no chances in this game and then go on the counter-attack? Or do you I feel think, it will go the other I think, way? I think... Um, I think- England will do what we do quite often under Southgate is that they'll attack early and try and nick an early goal. And mm. then Southgate will revert to type and try and close it, close it down. Um, the problem I see is if Italy score first, I don't think there's enough creativity in the squad to be able to break the, in Italy, the Italian defenders down. Um, mm. I don't think there's certainly what Southgate, I suspect, will put up as a starting lineup. He'd have to be forced into making changes quite proactively. Um, and Gareth Southgate's not the most proactive of managers. He's, uh, he tends to leave it a bit too late to make changes a lot of the time. So, yeah, I think it'll be it'll be a difficult. I see it being a difficult game for England, but you know we'll see. Um, Italy sides don't tend to care too much unless it's a major tournament. Granted, they still got to get to them. Yeah, this is it. This but, is it. Um, no, it's it's a. I think it's it's a big game. I think it's a good barometer for both teams as to where they are. Exactly. I yeah. think, um, and, and it's the sort of game you want to see. Ultimately, you, you don't you, you don't want to see the likes of England. Same with Italy as well, playing the likes of Belarus or. You know, yeah. someone like that, and you you want to, you want to play like proper competitive games uh, against top class opposition, um, and it's only really when you play that level of opposition, you you know, you get a bit of an idea of um, where you're at. 
Fantastic. Um, Andy, I know you were kind of prepping to see if there was an obscure game from the international weekend that we should keep an eye out on. Did you manage to find that obscure game that we should look out for? Yeah, so there's, um, if you fancy getting up at three o'clock in the morning on Thursday, there's El El Salvador versus Honduras. Um, And if you ever watched the CONCACAF Champions League and the teams from there, it would just basically be the both and kick the shit out of each other for a good solid 90 minutes. It's but it'll certainly be entertaining. Um, in a very weird matchup on Friday, you've got Uzbek- Uzbekistan versus Bolivia. Mm. <laughs> it's a very, very, very random matchup. Um, <laughs> and then um, you've got Argentina, who clearly want to feel better about themselves and keep the vibe going they because they've got a game against Panama. Uh, it's just yeah, right. that's just bad. Yeah, I, I don't see what's to be gained from arranging a friendly like that. But uh, right. you obviously just want to feel good about themselves. Uh, so <laughs> uh, you know, if you fancy being a real hipster, you've got Georgia versus Mongolia. Uh, you've got oh, Indonesia. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and also Russia. Oh, sorry, the football union of Russia. Okay, playing yeah. Iran in the authoritarian oh, course, regi- yeah, in the authoritarian regime derby. Uh, yes, <laughs> yeah. So you've got that. If you fancy a pop- bit of uh, underdog, you've got um, the Faroe Islands playing North Macedonia, um, and then you know going into sort of uh, next week, you've got some really random ties that nobody will particularly care about. You've got Iran versus um, Kenya. <laughs> You've got um, UAE wow. versus Thailand. If you fancy a bit of Asian football, um, some decent matchups there. If you're looking at decent, decent matchups, Japan, yeah. Japan, Colombia, I think will be a good game. Um, yeah. You know, Chile, Paraguay. Uh, very competitive. Very, that'll be a very competitive friendly. I think it's fair to say between the two sides. So there are some, you know, some good games knocking about. Um, mm. And you know, oh yeah, you know, for uh, Ferrari, who's uh, obviously not with us tonight, uh, the Republic of Ireland might win a football match against Latvia. We use that line for Scotland, don't we? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well. I mean, the Republic of Ireland aren't much better. Uh, but yeah, let's see who Scotland have got this international break. Um, I'm just having a quick look now, actually, to see if they could, <laughs> they might actually win a football match. Um, they've got Georgia. Um, no, that's they huge. always seem to. Play ah, there Georgia. we are. No, they're going to get battered. They're going to get absolutely battered. The reason why is they've got Spain next week on the 28th. They will get stuffed, and it'll be a very Scotland thing to do to lose to Cyprus at home <laughs> on Saturday. Uh, this at is the Hamden. qualifiers as well at <laughs> yeah. Hamden. Yeah, so they've got two games at Hamden, one against Cyprus, the other against Spain. Um, oh, fuck me, I'd hate to see the atmosphere if they lost against Cyprus. But yeah. Well, listeners, viewers, I'm sure you're sport for choice with those options. Um, but I think that gives a wrap to this particular episode so many thanks to andy for his contributions as ever and make sure you listeners and viewers subscribe to our social media channels so on twitter at italian anglo pod or if you go on to tiktok or youtube or any other kind of social media platforms we are at anglo italian podcasts so many thanks as ever Hope you have a great week of watching internationals. We'll be on the other side, making sure you get into the groove of the Premier League and Serie A. 
But for now, we will be waving goodbye and we'll see you at sometime soon. Take care, everyone. Podcast Network.